Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. I know you listeners are going to enjoy today's interview as we are joined by a man who's done a little bit of everything in the college tennis world. He was a former standout player in the early 90s at Mississippi State, a national championship winning assistant coach in the 2000s, and now he's head coach of one of the top women's programs found across the country. Of course, I am talking about Pepperdine women's tennis head coach, Per Nilsson, who joins us on the program today to talk about his team's fantastic 2021 season thus far. He talks to us also about both the luxuries and the challenges that come with coaching a team with this much talent, this much depth on the roster. He talks about the things his team's going to need to improve on if they want to capture a national championship come May. Talks about all the nuances, the intricacies that come with building a top 10, top 5 program in the country. And then, of course, I wanted to explore Pear's background as well as he's someone who came over from Sweden to Mississippi as an exchange student, ends up staying in Mississippi for his college tennis career, and then obviously finds love in the college tennis world. That's a fascinating storyline to me. Certainly, I imagine all of you listeners going to enjoy it as well. So, of course, again, I know you all are going to enjoy today's conversation. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on the Cracked Interviews podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. You guys know the deal. Outdoor tennis is starting. Update your equipment. I promise it's going to give you that extra 2, 3 to 10% boost you need to get the best out of your game. And you can find the best equipment at the best prices with our friends at MidwestSports.com. You use the promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Two other just quick notes before we get into today's interview. A, if you have missed out on any of the other action happening across the tennis world, whether it's college tennis, whether it's ATP challenger level action, ATP and WTA level action, you can catch up on all of it on our website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the mini break podcast, great shot podcast, and all of the cool things we are doing here at Cracked Rackets. Those are the obligatory plugs for part one. Part two I'm embarrassed. I screwed it up to start the podcast. It gets better as we go along. I'm a quick learner. I like to think I'm quick on my feet, but I called him Per Nilsson. It's Per Nilsson, just to clarify, because, you know, P-E-R-N-I-L-S-S-O-N. It seems pretty straightforward, but just to clarify, because too many people around the country get it wrong. Per Nilsson, I should have done my research. Hey, great shot to me or not great shot. I'll be better moving forward. I get better in the interview. I want to just apologize to coach at the start. Want to make it clear. I know I screwed up at the beginning, but without further ado, let's get to my fantastic conversation with Pepperdine women's tennis head coach, Per Nilsson.
Joining us on the podcast today, he is 10th in combined career singles and doubles wins during his time at Mississippi State. He was a national championship winning assistant head coach while at Pepperdine in 2006. Now head coach of the Pepperdine women's tennis team, Coach Pernelson. Coach, welcome to the show. It feels like we should have had you far before this moment, but it's great to finally get you on the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, Alex. Things are things are well. Uh, you know, like I said, we can't complain right now. We're able to compete and enjoy tennis, so that's not a bad thing. So just happy to be doing what we're doing right now. Oh, glad to hear that. And I'm angry at myself. Nilsson, not Nelson. I'm going to butcher that at least three more times throughout the podcast. I apologize in advance. But even, you know, before we get into the serious questions, I'm, you know, I was prescribed a few questions as I was doing my research. I'm supposed to ask you at the start, how are your running workouts going? Are the workouts still going well? Are they still intact? That's why I ran a little late here because I just finished, you know, a huge, huge workout, a lot, lot of running. I did the, the sand dunes down here on the beach, so I've gotten my workout in for the day. And my, right. name, my name gets butchered all the time, but usually it's my first name. It's anywhere from Par, Per, Pierre, but it's really Pear, so – No, I I, I appreciate that. (laughs) Pear Nilsson, that gets me going moving forward. That's some of the research I must have skipped uh, in the buildup to this podcast. I was much more focused on the running workouts. And then the orange pants. I was disappointed to find out I have not get to see the original uh, Pear Nilsson orange pants. I think someone burned those. (laughs) I've been looking for them. I still have a few few, uh, clothing you know, from back in the day that I kept, but those pans are gone. And I have a feeling someone took those and burned them. And ASICS isn't really supplying us with the good old orange pullout pan. So that's why. It's probably a good thing. Do you think it was Coach Steinberg? Do you think he I, broke in? Yeah, I'm starting to think that the, your sources are uh, some older, <laughs> older people, old stories that no one remembers anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've given away my sources from the get-go here, but that sort of leads – it's a side question, but I'm always curious about this because, you know, I've been through the rhythm of these college days, of these college matches, and they're draining. And I can only imagine from a coaching perspective, you're trying to organize breakfast, organize warm-up, try and get all of your players ready and uh, ready both physically and mentally for the matches. How important is it for you personally to find time to build in the runs, to build in, you know, some personal – whatever, whether it's fitness time, training time, whatever it may be, because I see you at these matches, you're still paper thin. Evidently, you're still in shape. <laughs> no, the running was a joke. I, I'm, I'm still trying to, uh, to get going. And uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's really important to, to it gets, it can become too much. You know, we're so uh, enthralled in our jobs and in the tennis and trying to be good. And um, it's really good to have a, it's really important to have a balance. And I don't think I've done a good job with that uh, for a long time and trying to do better, trying to, you know, put away time for things like that. Uh, Just uh, getting away, even if it's a golf round or time with the family. And otherwise, it could just drive you nuts spending all the time thinking about the things that we do. So, um, but if you want to be good, you have to spend the time to, to try to be good, too. So it's a fine balance. Yeah, or just be blessed with a wonderful metabolism, as you seem yeah. to be. Like, there's nothing wrong with that either, Coach. <laughs> that's a victory. But, you know, uh, you, you talk about balancing the schedule, and that's how we can segue into this season. You look for your Pepperdine team now heading into the home stretch of this 2021 season. You guys are ranked – you guys are 15-2 and two overall. I believe you're ranked number five in the latest edition of the ITA rankings. And, you know, clearly you're hitting your stride at the indoors. That was the last loss and you just look for your team uh how, how's it been going this season how have you guys found your rhythm this well given all the chaos yeah um some some weeks we're feeling really well and, and other other weeks we're like man we're we're a long ways from being where we want to be um we ha- we haven't lost outside this year you know we lost two matches at the indoors against two good teams even though i, I felt like um you know we didn't play bad we we weren't I mean, none of the teams seem to be fully uh, – someone seems to be out every match, but we, we were missing Ashley for that tournament, and I, I still thought it was a good good run we did there. Um, but you know what's very up and down. Uh, some some weeks we feel like we're playing well, and 
right now me and my assistants are kind of like wow we we've got a lot of work to do so um, we tried to put together the toughest schedule we could we were supposed to go to Michigan and Northwestern and they weren't allowed to play us so that we felt like that hurt us but we were went up and played Cal and Stanford we played UCLA a couple of times we've just been trying to schedule as, as uh, many big matches we could I didn't think we were going to be able to get them all in but so far so good and we just uh working hard, watching video, trying to get as many individuals in as we can. Mm-hmm. You look since that national indoor, two, uh, 4-3 win over USC, 4-3 win over UCLA, 4-3 wins over Stanford and Cal as well. Uh, obviously, those are the sort of matches that I suppose will keep you in shape. That'll get the heart going from a coaching perspective. But given the restrictions of the season, given how difficult it is to find non-conference matches, how important was it for your team to get those sort of high-level matches and particularly to play them that close? given the parity at the top of the women's game this year yeah it was really important i mean we always play those schools every year out here on the west coast but this time we had a feeling that things were going to be different so we did some double headers with them uh ended up playing usc three times because they came to us for kickoff weekend but you know it's hard to play teams twice um you know you you have an advantage a little bit when you're at home and it gets tougher on the road which we felt uh, a little bit with some of these teams, but it's obviously uh, great for the girls to to see the the three all matches and someone's out there with all the pressure and because that's what it's going to be like at the end of the year. So we're just trying to prepare for that and and build with you know on, on some of those experiences that we've had. Mm-hmm. And you talked about all of the up and down. It seems like every week someone's injured, and obviously there there are COVID protocols. There are various things that have happened throughout the season. But you look across the board, and I believe you guys have had, what, I, I think eight different players contribute in your lineup this season. And I believe, you know, the worst singles flight you guys have at this point is you're nine and five at the three singles position. If the worst case scenario is you're winning 65% of your matches at a flight, you're doing pretty well. How helpful is that depth? And, you know, similarly, how important is it for you as a coach, given the limited matches to rotate your lineups to ensure you're given everyone looks? I mean, in the beginning of the year, you're a little worried when you have a deep roster on, you know, some people are going to be upset because they maybe don't play as often as they want to. But, you know, we've we've almost, you know, as many players as we've had, we've had injuries and then there's been COVID issues. And so it's almost like every week you're like, OK, which six are fully prepared to play and healthy? Too? So it, it it's great to have that depth this year, I think. Um, and at the same time, if everybody does get healthy, then we got a little bit of a problem of trying to figure out, okay, who, what's our best lineup here against a really good team. So we're dealing with it as we go. Um, we got a big stretch coming up this week with uh, four matches in, in five days. So that'll be interesting to see how we hold up and kind of nice too to see it's almost like a little tournament and uh, they'll have to put in a little extra work. No, that's half the fun of, you know, trying to figure out this season is gaming the schedule to prepare your team. And it's a good problem to have, right, when you have too many players as opposed to not enough players. And I want to start talking about some of those players at the top of your lineup with Jess because I was at the National Indoors and, you know, you guys didn't have Ashley Leahy, who, you know, number one player in the country, has been one of the top five players throughout her entire college career, NCAA singles finalist. And yet, you know, you were missing her and Jess didn't meet, miss a beat throughout the entire National Indoor Weekend. And you look at it now, she's 8-2 and two throughout the season at the number one position, 10-2 and two overall. Uh, what have you seen from her? Did you have a feeling coming into the season she was ready for this sort of jump? Because obviously I think she's a fifth-year senior here now, but she has just been spectacular. Yeah, Jess. you know, we had a feeling she was going to be, you know, playing really well right off the bat because she played so many tournaments last fall. And even in the summer, she really played a lot of those UTR events and she, you know, it was great for her. She didn't want to take a break and and she didn't need to. And so she was really match tough when she showed up in January, she wasn't here in the fall. And so it was a big difference between her and Ashley where Ashley hadn't played almost at all. And so Jess just kind of went right at it and had confidence got some big wins and just started rolling. So it was fun to see 
her getting rewarded for the work that she'd put in before she got here. Yeah, she was spectacular. I mean, when she was playing that national indoor weekend and, you know, you were watching her just, I think it was the win over, or she was up, uh, what was it, seven five five two on Alexa Graham. She got the win over Georgia Tech the first day. She beats Abby Forbes on day three. That, like, what, as a coach, what do you do at that? Are you just like, let's go? Like, what what's the next process from there? How do you bottle that performance up to keep it going throughout the season? Well, a lot of credit goes to herself for, for working hard and putting in the hours that you need to to be able to, to play like that. And then Pete, my assistant coach, she, she, he's been working a lot with Jess and trying to get her to play a certain way, and, and it's really showing up. And so once we got to that tournament, yeah, it was a lot of, a, hey, let, let's let's go for it, see how see where you get to, and then just kind of manage her emotions with her on court. And you know, I, I just kind of watched it and enjoyed it and was happy for her that she was able to put together a tournament like that. She, you know, she deserved it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And when you have a roster, because you've coached a lot of talented teams throughout your years, obviously, again, assistant for a national championship winning team in 06 during your time at Mississippi State. You guys were winning regular season SEC titles. And, you know, this year you have the luxury. I mean, you could honestly maybe say four players, but in in Jess, in Ashley, in Shiori Fukuda, who was playing number one singles for Ohio State last season, you have three players who have, throughout their college career, had success at the top of the lineup. I'm curious your perspective. Is it, you know, you you know, obviously you've played Jess there the majority of the time, but are do you want to rotate who's playing in what position to sort of keep them fresh? I've talked to, you know, coaches in the past who say, I don't want my number one player to get burned out. And if I have a guy at two who can justifiably also play one, I want to switch that around. Is that a philosophy you share? I think this is the first season where we have had a couple of players that are, you know, playing at a similar level where it's maybe where we start discussing, okay, who, who should play one? Because before that, you know, last year Ashley was by far our best player and playing that way. And so this is the first year we've had to deal with it. And we haven't had to deal with it that much just because uh, Ashley was out for the indoors. Jess was out for a couple of matches here last couple of days. And so we haven't really had to run into that yet. But if things go as planned, we're going to have to deal with that. And I don't know what the solution is. Um, you know, it's almost going to be, you know, who's having a good practice? Who's Who do we feel is playing well? Um, and then, yeah, if there's matchups that can be can be looked at, you know, maybe we look at that somehow. But we haven't run, had any – we hadn't had any issues with that yet. Yeah, no, definitely another one of those good problems to have. And, you know, speaking of someone playing well, your freshman, Tasha Patrickaleva, I believe she's 15-1 and one this season. Uh, that's for, you know, any player, regardless of what year you are, that's stellar. But for her to come in and contribute in this fashion as a freshman, what has that boost done for the rest of the lineup? I mean, she she's another one in that group that could play one. I think, you know, coming in January is holding her back a little bit just because everything is so new, getting used to things, and then not being able to spend the time off court that we normally do with these players is maybe why she's still playing, you know, two, three, four sometimes because she has the, the game to play at the top as well. But she's she's done amazing. It's so hard to come in January um you know we see other schools and players and we've had it in the past too where it's just they just don't realize how difficult it's going to be how tough it is and she's she's done an amazing job I kind of feel like it's helped her a little bit to start lowering the lineup and work her way up so who knows where she'll end up at the end of this semester but uh it's it's exciting to see it's a slow progress but it's a good progress so that's that's good Mm-hmm. No, and we could do five minutes on every player because, again, that's how much success you guys have had top to bottom in the lineup. And, you know, I always joke before the podcast with our guests that if you feel the need to swear at me, don't hold back. This might be the question <laughs> that gets you to do that. With all of the depth you have at singles, with the fact that legitimately you go into every match probably thinking, okay, you know, we can win each and every singles flight if our player plays their best. That said, doubles has been a little bit more finicky 
for your team. You know, seven and three at the one position, six and seven at two, nine and five at three. You've seen the teams at the top of college tennis this year, the UCLA's, the North Carolina's, Texas's, how difficult it is to win three, let alone four singles matches against them. How important is doubles for your team? How much will you harp in on that down the home stretch? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, right now we're probably one of the worst doubles teams in the country, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, we're, we're me and Pete and Jan are working, uh, you know, long hours trying to figure out what the deal is. We we have had a few matches where we feel like there's hope and um, <laughs> others where it's despair. You know, it's we don't really have any natural doubles players, um, and so we've ha- which we've had in the past with uh, Luisa Stefani and Mayar, and we've had some other players that were, you know, just enjoyed doubles. And these guys aren't really, they I shouldn't say they're singles players only, but they just they thrive on the singles court. They haven't gotten to the point where they're like, yeah, this is what I'm good at, and this is what I can do on the doubles court. And, we're trying to figure out the best solutions we have right now. We have one team that they know exactly what they're doing, how to do it. And they're not really the best players out there, but they, they gel well. And so it's working for them. And we got to figure out a way to get two other teams that can do the same. Um, and yeah, it's a head scratcher a little bit because we're playing much worse doubles than we really should. Um, but you know, we're, we're working on it and hopefully we have about a month here to, to figure it out. So it's not like we're not going to spend time and and do that. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I believe because Pete was pretty good when he played for Coastal Carolina back in the day. This is all (laughs) part. I believe he was the double specialist. I mean, there's no way that guy moves well, moves around well on a singles court. Um, But, you know, for your team again, I, I, you sort of mentioned it there, but you know you can get four points anyways going into singles. I guess how do you communicate that message to the team so frequently? Or at this point in the season, are they like, look, we can drop a doubles point and we're fine. We're good to go. Yeah, I, I don't want to tell them that because it's going to bite you in the butt <laughs> sure. at some point, you know. And we've been fortunate enough to, you know, we, we've we've practiced a lot losing the doubles point. All right, someone's got to make it one one <laughs> here and, and we get back on track. But it is, it is kind of frustrating to see when we're not producing at least, you know, a decent level that we know we can. And that, that's been the case lately. And so, you know, we doubles is huge against someone that you need to maybe upset, you know, or maybe if they're, they're just as good as you or if you are underdogs at some point at some courts, that doubles point becomes huge. And so, um, you know, and this is all credit to Adam Steinberg, but I think we went almost two years at Pepperdine on the men not losing the doubles point. We might have lost it once. And uh, it's it's easy to get used to that double success. And right now we're, you know, we're we're like, hey, you want to start with singles? But, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, at least we're, we're, we're not, we know it and uh, we want to improve it. I actually think that we have a few things that we can do that that will help us a lot i think one of the biggest things that we we do a lot here is we do a lot of video analysis with the players and that has been really tough obviously with the covid restrictions we can't have them in the offices we can't have them in the lounge we got to figure out a a better way of getting like some some video to them and where they see what we're talking about because we see what's happening on the court um we're just not sure exactly why we haven't fixed it yet (laughs) maybe it's just terrible coaching (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the smartest thing to blame it on, right? I feel yeah, like that's sure. the fail-safe solution. But, <laughs> no, four matches this week to work it all out. And, you know, for your Pepperdine program, and you uh, took over as head coach uh, from Coach Esquer- uh, Esquadero in, I believe, 2015, and you guys have made round of 16 or better since the 2016 season. Obviously, that doesn't include last year as there was no NCAA tournament. But, you know, you've had teams that have made that championship weekend that have competed in the final stages. You've seen what it takes, you know, competing against North Carolina, against UCLA this year, what it's going to take to win the national championship. You know, as you head down the home stretch of this season, how are you feeling about your team and what are the things you will harp on to get your peak performance come May? We're, we're really harping on, you know, getting rid of all the things that we know are going to hurt us when 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 we get put under pressure and i know all the coaches 
they see their players. They know they know when when it when something's about to hit the fan. And uh, <laughs> if, if you can't if you can't sort those things out before it gets really important, there's a really good chance that that's going to show up. And we we we're seeing that right now. We're we're nowhere near where we need to be to be able to make a a, a real good run at it. And we're telling our players every day, look, you guys have got to decide. Do you really want to be one of the teams at the end that has a shot? Then these things right here have to change. And we have some players that are struggling with that. And then we have some that are all in. And they're the ones that are doing well. Even though on paper we're winning, um, I think that we're, we're maybe a half the team right now have issues that are going to hurt us at the end. So every day we're talking about it and trying to help them and discussing with them about what needs to happen we're trying to figure out different things but I, all the coaches on all the teams are seeing that and the team that can sort those out unless you just get hot and you know play an unreal tournament it's those teams that really do well i think at the end mm-hmm. no absolutely and i i would say that most coaches around the country would be like i'll trade 15 and 2 and haven't lost since february if you want to take over my situation coach <laughs> but at the same time no i i agree i think Again, peaking in May, that's what makes the difference. Look back, you know, I, I guess that 2019 NCAA tournament, it was so tough because Stanford, Georgia, UNC, all of those teams were ridiculous that year on the women's <laughs> side. But on the men's side, Texas got hot, and yeah. that made the difference. And they ended up winning the title, and certainly you guys have the talent this year, if you don't mind me saying, to make a run to the national championship. Now, there's, again, we, we there's plenty more Pepperdine questions I have for you, but I want to take a deep dive back since we have you on the podcast about how Per Nilsson becomes, you know, a college tennis player, becomes a college tennis head coach. And I believe your story starts with an exchange student program, correct? You were an high school exchange student at Jackson Academy in Mississippi, fell in love with Mississippi as everyone does when they come from Sweden and end up at Mississippi State. Now, I'm sure that's not the exact story, but do I have it somewhat close? You've got it somewhat close, but it's a story that no one cares about and no one's interested to hear. So let's make this Except for short me, coach. and sweet because no one would, no one cares. But uh, yeah, I started off in Mississippi as an exchange student, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. There's no come on. There's got to be something else than that. What is it? The tennis in Mississippi? You were just captivated. You were like, I love it here. No, you know, it was really, I had a teacher there in the high school that was a, you know, Mississippi State alumni, and she told me about college sports, really, and then um, there was, there's a tennis center in Jackson where everybody plays, and uh, Billy Chadwick's brother, he, Billy Chadwick used to be the old Miss coach, his brother ran that place, so I found out some things about college tennis, and that's, you know, the, the, short version of how I ended up at Mississippi State. No, I like it. I imagine it was the 1990 Mississippi Academy Singles Championships and, you know, Mississippi State head coach Andy Jackson wanders in and he goes, who's the Swedish kid with the short shorts? And you're like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Pear. Nice to meet you. Something similar to that? It, somewhat similar to that. I, I took an unofficial visit to Mississippi State and uh, met with uh, Andy Jackson, and uh, there was two other guys there on an official visit, and the three of us kind of said, maybe we should give this a shot and try it out. And um, I had an unreal time at Mississippi State and obviously spent many years there as a player and a, and a coach, and um, it's a great place. Mm-hmm. And during your college tennis career, which I believe 91 to 94 – for your fun fact, I was born 1995. Uh, I just feel like you'll enjoy hearing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, during your time there, you know, the team takes a jump. You guys win an SEC championship, and I believe it was maybe your senior season that the duo of, I want to say it was Laurent uh, Michelard and Jacques Simmons end up winning the NCAA doubles championship, and you guys make the semifinals, uh, or win the doubles championship. You make the semifinals, lose to USC in the semifinals. Uh, all of that is to say you were around a high level of college tennis, and I know for me personally, you know, the first team I ever watched were those Virginia teams of the early 2010s, and I just kind of caught the college tennis bug. Would you say it's it's fair to say Mississippi State, that's where you caught the college tennis bug? For sure. I mean, it, it, it was so much fun competing on a team and, uh, you know, playing at that high level. And, and, you know, NCAAs used to be in Athens, Georgia back then with the crowds. And it was really fun. And um, 
you know, I never knew that I would be a college coach back then, but it's de- it definitely set the stage because of it's so much different than any other tennis event, really. And so, you know, that that's once I decided I was going to get into coaching, you know, that's that's definitely one of the reasons why I, I went into college coaching. Did you and Woodruff ever play head to head? I believe he was at Tennessee around then. No, Woodruff played one, and I played two for Mississippi State then, and uh, so I never ran into him on on, on the court in, in singles. But uh, you know, he was he was a good he was a good player. I think he got beat by our number one guy, who was number one in the country. But Woodruff was obviously an awesome player, and um, we always I mean, all those SEC matches back in the day were crazy good. Yeah, I feel like the quality of college tennis, early 90s, you look at all of the players who came out, even late 80s as well, guys like Malvia Washington, Todd Martin, and I mean, Chris Woodruff comes out, there were there were so many. When you look at that, the talent level for college tennis, I mean, how I guess, what was the differences between college tennis then and the college tennis now? Because you look at, you know, just the names and who who was playing well, who had pro success. It feels like there were a high level of you know pro quality players in college tennis at the time. I think they were all at the same schools. Uh, I think that's the biggest difference <laughs> sure. now is because back back when I played, there was only a top twenty, maybe a top twenty five ranking, and you it was unheard of really that a team in the top ten or even top twenty would lose to someone outside that. And so the depth had just uh, exploded, and it, you know it started on the on the men's side first, and now the same thing's happening on the women's side. I think, and th- there's good players everywhere, and now there's also good teams everywhere. So I think that's a big difference. Back then, it was always the same, and you still see those schools in the top, but they've the, the other schools have closed the gap for sure. Mm-hmm. And for you personally, again, looking back at those college tennis years, I-, I like to ask players this because I know, and it wasn't nearly at the level that you played at, but do you remember that USC semifinal? I know some of these coaches have photographic memories. Do you remember that NCAA semifinal you played in 94? I have the score in front of me. That's why I ask. I remember it like it was uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the rundown. I, I remember me and my my buddy Christian uh, won in doubles. I think we played uh, Brett Hansen. Dent- uh, no, we played uh, uh, we played the USTA. He was a former USTA coach now, and I know him. And I'm drawing a blank, but I know we won the doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I lost in singles. And I remember Andy Jackson coming on the court after the first set, and I knew exactly what it, what I needed to do to to win i felt like i was the better player but i was out of gas i was tired from the quarterfinals match against georgia um bobby marinchek got wore me out the day before and i i use that i use that day in coaching now all the time all the things that i did wrong in college i used and it's that's a lot that, those are a lot of things and so um i think i remember if i would have won i feel like we win that match and uh that's really disappointing to to have the, have those regrets and what if or should have could have and I don't ever want my players to feel like that because that's a that's a bad one to remember. <laughs> no, and I apologize for making you relive the memory again. <laughs> if you're going to swear at me, it's this portion of the podcast. But you know, does it surprise you at all because you talk about that experience and you know I can I think both I and the listeners will hear the fondness in your voice. It, it, does it surprise you at all to see so many former college tennis players turn to the college coaching ranks? And I feel like when you look across the men's and women's games now, there are there are just so many former talented, successful college and pro players across the coaching landscape. I feel like that's had to have helped with the quality of play as much as anything. I think so, too. I think the, there's so many good quality coaches now, and it's just getting better and better. It used to not be. It used to not be so hard to be able to get an assistant job or maybe even a head job, but now it's almost hard to get an assistant job because it's become such a lucrative tennis coaching job because it is it is an amazing job. We have so much fun, um, and um, yeah, it, it, it's really helping, I think, the development of a lot of the players, obviously, and the competition is just, you know, getting higher and higher. It's fun. Uh, you know, that, that's what I... That's why I got into this. I, I didn't want it to be easy. I wanted it to be tough. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, again, you look at, uh, I, I think, 
getting into the college coaching ranks for you. You worked a year as a Mississippi volunteer assistant, and then you went and coached in the private ranks. And then ultimately, you get the call from, I believe, Coach Steinberg or from the Pe- Pepperdine at the time saying, hey, you know, come, come be the assistant here. What gets you, you know, was that a job you were always willing to pursue or was it a spur chance? How do you end up at Pepperdine as an assistant? I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Adam Steinberg and Billy Pate, you know, at, at Princeton. Billy Pate and I were, were doubles partners when I was a freshman at Mississippi State, and uh, he always kind of took me under his wing and helped me out. And the plan was actually when he got his first head coaching job that I would try to be his assistant. And it didn't quite work. It didn't, it didn't work out for a couple of reasons, but he then made a call to Adam and, and said, hey, maybe – take a look at pair and, and talk to him. And so I was really fortunate to, to start off coaching at Pepperdine with Adam. And that's when I realized, wow, I have a lot to learn and, and, uh, but this is really fun. And so Adam, uh, Adam really helped me out and I, I owe him a lot. And, um, you know, it's, and Billy as well, obviously, but those two helped me out tremendously. Mm-hmm. I, for the record, it was Wayne Black and John Leach was the USC doubles team. In case, in case that name was going to bother you, like it was going to bother. Me. Yeah, but that 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 was the number one team that we we lost to them. That but that was Jock and Laurent and Jock lost to those guys in that uh, and, in that and then, match, and then they beat them in the finals of the of the doubles <laughs> yeah. tournament. That one irked a little bit too, but yeah. And then it was Peterson and Havorka. I don't yeah, know if that means that's right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Um, but to your point, um, and I'm sure if Billy Pate offers you the Princeton assistant job now, you'll take it. Uh, <laughs> you'll be like, yeah, it's time for me to go back. But, uh, you know, to your point, getting to be an assistant at Pepperdine and uh, getting to join a program that goes on to win a national championship in 2006. Uh, what does it take to build a national championship program? I know it's not that simple as it's a one size fit all, but you know, you look at your 2006 run at Pepperdine, you look at what you guys were able to accomplish through the NCAA tournament. I mean, I don't think you played a match closer than four, two, and that was the championship match. All things were clicking. Uh, how does that happen? You know, it starts with getting great talent to start off with and, and players that want to be good. And uh, Adam put together a really nice team there. And, you know, we ended up having four guys in the in the top of the lineup that could all play one. And then we had players of five and six that weren't scared to play, um, you know. And then Adam was very, very um, specific on, you know, what things needed to be like if you wanted to be good. And and he managed the team incredibly well. And once that clicked, those guys just took off. And yes, they, we, we had a really good team, obviously. But we also, you know, we also caught fire there in the last two, three months of the year. And then I think we had a couple of seniors that were just unreal leaders. We had Pedro Rico, Scott Derner. Those were the two. And Ivor Lovrak was the senior as well. And those guys almost refused to lose um, and they also pushed the other guys on the team to, to another level. So you have to have those guys that can't just come from the coaches. There has to be players on the team that hold each other accountable and hold other players accountable. And those guys did that. And it was, it was the same. Adam had put the work in when we got to the tournament, and those guys just flew. Mm-hmm. And for your team, because that was the team, I believe I made this mistake earlier, that lost to Texas late in the season. The reason I want to ask about that loss, does it help when you have a team that good to sort of humble them that late and be like, you know, you guys can lose? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'd rather take a loss during the season than, than win too much and then be a little cocky at the end and, and, and get bit in the back. But uh, that Texas loss hurt. It was our worst match of the year. And I believe we played them again in the quarters and, and took care of business. And so I think it helped us. And I spoke to Tanner Stump, who's at Florida right now. And, you know, we talk about things like that. And it, being, the, being the undefeated team or the super favorite, you know, I'd rather be a little bit of the underdog and, and chase, chase a little bit. And I think that's what we had that year, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for you, you then uh, get the offer to go take over as the Mississippi State head coach. And I have to ask, just to take over your alma mater to be the head of that program, how special was that for you? It was. Uh, it felt really good, obviously. More than anything, it was kind of surprising when I got there that nothing really had changed since I was a player. <laughs> and it was the same people, same people that were there. And so 
it was comfortable. It was pretty easy transition. Um, you know, I had an unreal assistant there. Um, we had a we had a blast with Matt Hill and start things off. And so we were just hungry and excited. And we didn't. I don't know how much we knew we were doing. <laughs> it was my first head coaching job, and uh, but we had a lot of fun. And the players, you know, really appreciative and and hardworking. And when you've got that, coaching is super fun. Mm-hmm. No, and then you get the call, and I had you know from there. Obviously, you have a successful run as Mississippi State coach. But is it just when someone offers you a head coaching job in Malibu, you have to take it? Because I feel like that's as simple as it is. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm in. Yeah, I was in on that. I didn't need too <laughs> yeah. much uh, convincing, but it, it was it wasn't it wasn't easy to leave the players. It wasn't easy to leave some friends there, you know. And but I had always seen the program here and always wondered you know what it would be like to coach the women at Pepperdine because I feel like it's such a special uh, spot and I felt like it could be a good place for people to come and and train and go to school and try to be really good and so I kind of had it in the back of my mind for a long time and so it was not a tough decision to make uh, once once I got that call. No, absolutely. And for your teams, you know, second round of the NCAA tournament, your first year, but since then you haven't lost more than five matches in a season. You guys have made round of 16 uh, each and every year since the 2016 season. And, uh, you know, along the way, you've had players like Louisa Stefani and Meyer Sharif who have gone on to have successful pro careers thus far. How helpful is it for you from that program standpoint to be able to turn to Louisa and Meyer and say, see, like, you know, this works, this can work. And then also, what have you thought of their success this season? I have to imagine you've been enjoying it. For sure. It's really fun to see them. Uh, you know, they, they came here for that reason. You know, they mm-hmm. they that was the number one priority was for us to try to help them and, and see if they, if they could do something at the next level. And um it's something that we look at in, in all our recruits and that they're able to now do it on the next level so quickly is obviously fun for us. And, you know, we're trying to show some recruits that, hey, it's working what we do here. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, there's no secret. We care. We work hard. Um, and everyone doesn't fit in because if you don't love tennis and if you don't want to see how good you can be, then then it's kind of hard. But um, those guys are doing amazing. We we talk to them all the time, and uh, it's great to see. Would you bring Louisa on as a fourth volunteer assistant or fourth assistant coach this year and be like, you're our double specialist? Just <laughs> we, handle the doubles. We, we should fly her in, and uh, I should <laughs> I should go to the beach, and she should run doubles practice. I think that's the next step we're gonna do. That sounds like a win for everyone, absolutely. And I guess, you know, when you're watching those players in compete in college, what's the difference that allows them to go on and have pro success? Because you watch any college tennis match, I mean, all of these players can hit forehands and backhands. What's the difference between, you know, the best of the best at the top? You know, you, you have to have the talent, obviously, but there's no shortcuts. And Louisa was professional in everything she did, often on the court. And she obviously loves doubles and has a doubles feel like few people have, but she did the little things right. And a lot of times those are the things that are holding people back, but they just don't see it and they don't, they don't realize it. And my R, when she first came in here, you know, she was only with us with two years, but the first six, seven months, she didn't, she wasn't willing to put in the work on the little things, but when she did, she took off and she probably deserved to play number one for us her senior year. Um, and, you know, she got used. And then once they get used to doing that, now you put yourself in, you know, in a, in a, have a chance now to do the things that maybe you, you can do. And so both of those guys really um, took value in those things that some other players don't. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe it was that 2018 team, right? That was the one that I think it was a 4-3 loss to um, to Georgia Tech. That was actually just a fun fact, the reason I bring it up. The very first NCAA tournament I ever attended was that one in Wake Forest, and I literally pulled my car into the parking lot as that match hit 3-all. And then the rain came, right? And you guys had to go indoors, and they jammed the room. Anyways, that the reason I bring up that talent was that team was so uh, sensational. And, you know, now again, home stretch for your team here this year. Uh, what's it going to take for you guys to, you know, get over that hump to get semifinals, finals, bring home a national championship to Pepperdine? 
We're actually using that year a lot right now because we won so much that year that I, I think we we as coaches got a little bit of complacent and just didn't didn't notice some of the things or or just weren't willing to take a look at some of the little things that needed to be um, addressed or worked on. And so we're, we're doing that. We're trying to do a better job now because there has to be a good balance of selfishness and and building your team and pushing your team and being a good teammate. And that 2018 year, we won so much and everybody was winning, but they didn't really push the, each other as much as they could have. And that showed up, I think, at, at the end there. Uh, and, you know, we don't want to take anything for granted now just because our team looked good on paper. And so really stressing a lot on, on that balance on, yeah, you have to be a little selfish to be a good tennis player, but if you want to do well as a team, you got to help each other out. Um, and so maybe that will be the difference this year. We don't know. Good, You know, things have to go your way a little bit. And that tournament in 2018, it didn't, but we move on. No, exactly. It feels like you guys are due. And you've seen all of the formats. Has the no-ad format grown on you? Because it does feel to an extent it's like, well, the no-ad points went my way today, so I win the match 4-3. I love the no-ad. I always have. I think it's exciting. Uh, I mean, it's nerve-wracking, and I know some players don't like it, but um, you can't tell me that it's that it's not exciting. Um, you know, fans fans that have never seen tennis, um, you know, they enjoy it. Um, I think it's cool. Sure, it can get frustrating when, you know, I know Jess, one of the matches here a couple of weeks ago, she lost eight out of nine deuce points. But you know what? We're trying to put them in pressure situations, and, and that's one of them. So I like it. I think it's fun. But everybody doesn't agree. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I think it adds to the excitement, certainly. And, again, it's prove it. It's, all right, win this deuce point. It's the pressure point. All eyes are on you. And, you know, again, I, I promise I didn't want to take up too much more of your time. This will be my final question for you because it's a really stupid thing. But over the course of these national indoor weekends, when you're doing the broadcast, beyond the outstanding tennis, you have to find some little things to entertain yourself in the broadcast <laughs> booth. And for me, one of the little entertaining things was just watching the demeanor, the body language, just the presence of assistant coach Pete Billingham. And I just need like two minutes on Pete because (laughs) there was like a bad line call, and I watched his interaction with the line judge, and I actually think the line judge was like, oh, man, like I can't believe I did Pete poorly like that. And he was just like, are you sure? Like are you really – it was just – it was incredible. (laughs) Pete's amazing. Um, I tried to hire Pete five years ago, I believe. Uh, but it didn't work out then uh, with his visa situation. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad that I got a second chance to do it. Um, he's amazing. He's done an unreal job already. Um, but he's sneaky. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he's uh, we we can't always read him. The girls can't always read him. I can't. And uh, but we have a blast together. Um, he's a much, he's a, he's a really experienced coach now compared to what he was five years ago. And so that, that's good for, for us. Uh, but he's amazing. And, um, you know, that's what you need. You need someone around you that that can help you and I can learn from, and I can hopefully teach him a few things. The girls really, um, you know, they really like him and respect him. So the bonus, bonus value, uh, unreal bonus value to have someone like him. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it too though. He is a mystery. He I'm is. just like I don't I'm trying to solve it. I don't get it. Well, next time you see him, ask him to hit and see maybe <laughs> maybe we can see how if he actually plays tennis or that's a mystery here. We don't really know if he actually plays tennis or not. I think he's a pickleball specialist. Yeah. He just has the body for it. It just or you know, some, I guess in the West Coast it's paddle tennis. That's what he's playing on. Yeah. The time. I don't know if he yeah. even does that. We don't know. <laughs> No, he's the one actually doing running workouts. That's what he's doing the he's, whole time. You'll he, see him. He started sneaking in workouts super early in the morning or super late at night, and I'm like, man, what's happening now? You know, you're, you're transforming <laughs> in front of our eyes, but we don't know when you're doing it. He's finding the time somehow. 
Oh, that's incredible. Well, you know, one thing you both have clearly found the time for this season is the time to have success on the court. As I mentioned, your Pepperdine Waves now uh, looking very promising, ranked number six in the country, and, uh, you know, uh, I think now 14 to 15 and 2 overall heading into the home stretch. Four fun matches this weekend for us to enjoy. You've got plenty of coaching to do, I am sure. So we'll let you go. Coach Pear Nilsson, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Obviously, wishing you and your team safety, uh, health, and luck down the home stretch of this season. Thanks a lot, Alex. Appreciate having me on. Yeah, of course. Take care, Coach. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Pepperdine women's tennis head coach Per Nilsson. A huge thank you to coach for taking the time to chat, particularly given the fact that he's got four matches in five days coming up this week. I know I speak for all of us when I say we look forward to watching Pepperdine compete down the home stretch of this season. There's someone we all think can capture the national championship come May, and certainly that fact is a testament to the hard work being done by Coach Nilsson and everyone surrounding the Pepperdine program. So again, thank you to Coach, and we look forward to seeing his team compete throughout the rest of the season. Of course, if you have missed any of the competition happening elsewhere in the tennis world, how's that for a segue? Be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. From the podcast standpoint, we've gone, I think, daily these past two weeks on both our mini-break and Great Shot podcast feeds. We're trying to cover all of the action at the ATP and WTA levels, at the challenger level, the college level. So if you've missed any of the action, remember you can find all of those podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your shows. And I will ask, because it helps us with the computer gods, please, 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 like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. You need more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Link and Daniel Westoff for the of an ending job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports go to MidwestSports.com use that promo code CR15 with that in mind for my wonderful guest with that in mind for my wonderful guest Pepperdine head coach Per Nilsson our With that in mind, for our wonderful guest, Pepperdine women's tennis head coach Per Nilsson, our With that in mind, for our wonderful guest, Pepperdine women's tennis head coach Perrin Nilsson, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.